0: Hey everyone, welcome to Reality TV Rehap Ups for episode 5 of season 7 of The Amazing Race Canada. And now, here are the two people who always keep clam in the face of adversity, Jessica Leese and Dan Heaton. Hey Dan, how's it going?
1: Hi, I'm, I'm busy here writing up a note to Team Dan and telling them, you are not supposed to all take penalties all at once. Just because we wanted the photo op of you all on the mat so I could say Team Dan hashtag, not worth it. Come on, guys. Let's let's
0: get it together. <laughs> I hope you screen grabbed that because that was, that was a beautiful moment. It was three layers of awesomeness. <laughs> My entire team standing on the mat
1: in one shot. The best is when three teams were hugging while the other team was not. <laughs> <laughs> so much to go there, but I know I'm getting way ahead of myself. How are you, Jess? Are you ready to dive into this totally uneventful episode?
0: Oh, well, it was such a dud, you know, I I don't even know how we could begin to fill the time talking about it. Oh, wait, no, we have so many things. There are so many ingredients. It's like the Nanaimo bar of episodes. It is sweet. It is creamy. It is buttery and it is a big old mess once left out in the sun for too long. So we got to start with our top story here. We might as well just talk about the bare-knuckle boxing elephant in the room. Dave and Arena. we knew that they were the villains. We knew that they were not the team we were supposed to root for. But we got a whole new level of Dave and Arena here. And I think it's their show right now. We might as well just lean into it and talk about it.
1: Well, it's interesting because, you know, we got we got a response from Dave last week to the episode, but he specifically mentioned we're changing the game. And I thought, well, that's a little silly. They're not really changing anything. And then I saw this episode and I'm like, I'm not saying I don't want to give them too much, whatever you want to call it, you know, emphasis or confidence. But what they did completely changed this episode because it all the other teams were impacted by it and whether they sh- how they responded is kind of interesting, how each team responded. But the way that they have been acting and the way that they sort of responded to adversity and did things within the rules, but possibly not really that sporting, especially for Amazing Race Canada. Again, we've said there have been teams in the U.S. that have done similar things to this but this felt very weird. This is, did this feel like Canada's favorite summertime adventure? It's, it's weird because one says I find all this very interesting, there's tons of things to talk about. It's fun, fun in quotes, but you know, it's eventful. Is that a good thing that we want on this show? And is this what amazing race Canada really wants? Cause they cast them and they're obviously spotlining them, but wow, this is not something we see very often on this show.
0: Yeah. It's, it's really true, Dan. I, can't think of another team that was even an iota as villainous as these guys. I think you have to reach back to Pierre and Michelle, maybe. They did a lot of sort of semi-unsporting things and then Karma came back to bite them. I think we have to assume, and we've talked about this before, we are Assuming here that karma comes for Dave and Arena at some point, because I think that is the story we're being given. But I think prior to this episode, we were able to kind of conjecture that maybe a lot of what they are and what they're saying and what they're doing is manufactured for maximum drama. Like, sure, they're intense and sure, they're a little aloof when it comes to the other teams and sure, they are very focused on one thing but that's probably just to create a villain for the sake of storytelling. But this episode, I think we saw some things that are not editing. I think some of those things are who they are as people. And that is interesting to me. And to your question, do I think that this is something that's desirable on the show? I think it really depends on what you come for. If you are a person who is very hyper-focused on the travel aspect, and the getting to know Canada aspect and the, you know, the camaraderie that comes up around any given season of Amazing Race Canada. Yeah, this is going to be very jarring because these are basically taking Amazing Race US villains and plunking them down in the middle of Canada's favorite summertime adventure. And I can see where people are a little upset by their continued presence, but you know, they're here. It's not maybe tonally what we're expecting out of the show, but I also think. They're playing a role that makes the show watchable. I don't think anybody is intended to be sitting here saying, "I hope David and Arena go all the way. I hope they win two hundred and fifty thousand um, dollars." I think they're they're here so that we can root against them, and that's something that's a tactic that Amazing Grace Canada has never taken before, quite so explicitly. I think that's maybe the most jarring thing about the storytelling angle. Now, there's a couple of things they did this episode that I think are particularly interesting, and one thing. I want to highlight is Arena's use of the word peasants. I don't know if you caught this, Dan. They they did it the first time when they were on a flight far ahead of everybody else. And at that point I thought that was kind of a joke. I, I thought that Arena was using the term kind of ironically in terms of, oh well, we got the special privileges you know, we got first pick of the cliff bars and we're on the first flight. We have no worries in the world. So we are living a life of luxury and we'll let the peasants fight it out. Like, I thought that was funny and it was self-aware and it was a little silly. And then when Irina got upset this leg, she used the term again. She said, oh, I don't worry about what the rest of them think. They're peasants. And I'm like, okay, that is different. That is a different use of the word. That is not a self-aware use of the word. And that is not an ironic, funny use of the word. I think she really, honestly believes that she is the princess of the story, and they are the peasants. And there is no irony to that, and that concerns me a little bit.
1: Yeah, it's a different look. I did notice that, and that's the thing I also noticed too. Because it seemed early on, I got the sense they're just ultra competitive. And as somebody who me, I mean, when I play sports or whatever, I'm pretty competitive. That I mean, not on this level, but I sometimes respond to that. When I see teams that are really going for it, that are like, we're going to win. I go, okay, that's all right. I can do that. Yes, they might be a little dismissive of some of the other teams, but it's all as part of the, like the competition. And when and we even saw some moments early on where it seemed like teams were getting along, like, you know, kind of ripping each other. Like there was a roadblock where she was, they were kind of joking around a bit. And I thought, oh, okay, this is all right. This is fine. But that example, it's and you saw it, the show also, the editing really set it up throughout this lay to make sure to show, you know, they get on the last flight or, you know, and she's Megan and Marie are so happy and just are trying to stay upbeat and she's making fun of them and stuff like while on the plane. And so there were just a lot of bad looks, which were not we're not having directly to do with comp like in the middle of competition. were just moments where I mean, there's a lot of downtime on the race. That we don't even see, where they're you know at airports or they're wherever waiting out some operating hours, and you have to be able to kind of chill. And this is where I think we've enjoyed the show so much in the past is you can tell that the teams, even when they're fighting it out to see who gets to first or second or third, for the most part, I'm not saying every team has gotten along best, but there seems to be some sense of. Can you believe we're all doing this together? This is crazy. We're on this show. We're going, you know, around the world in the past and such. And there's none of that with Dave and Arena. And and I have to mention, after this week's episode, she went on Twitter. And normally we don't really talk much about what people do on Twitter, but I feel like given this episode, it's worth bringing up. And kind of talked about how she's never seen the show before and how. Basically, why should she be friends with people she's met for 15 minutes and kind of really trying to defend that they aren't really close to the teams? And it was not a good look, but it did illuminate a lot of what we've kind of only seen hints of on the show, which is there's just a disconnect between how they are approaching it, and how I think any team has ever approached the show, even super competitive people like you know your Megan and Natalie or something, or even Gino and Jesse, they were super competitive and may not have been best friends with everyone, but you didn't get this this is This is something else entirely
0: in fairness, I think the show could have manufactured that for any given team, which again is why I don't believe the two of them are going to win this season because. You can make a story out of the other teams don't want anything to do with this extremely competitive team that is focused on winning. But that's not what we're getting from what they're choosing to show of these interactions. And apparently, next week it's all going to blow up even more spectacularly. But we'll get to that, I think. This is what in the survivor community they call OTTN, um, to borrow a term from the EDGIC people. What we're getting out of them is this hyper competitive overlaid with this, we don't care about anybody else. And I don't know what actually is motivating them because I think we also have to talk about what Dave said on Twitter um, to us. He was very complimentary. I think he's enjoying our take and our podcasting, uh, which is always great to hear. And we we appreciate that. Um, But he says that he doesn't need the money. He's in it for the experience. And he kind of dragged his wife along on this adventure. And that's all well and good. But What kind of adventure are you getting if you are skipping half the tasks to take penalties and if you're not connecting with your fellow castmates, which I feel like, especially on Amazing Race Canada, is a big part of it.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think that... I mean, it's so tricky to to, bring, to talk about motivations because, again, we can only go by what he said, you know, in response to us and such or in response to the show. And, and also Arena also sent a really nice note about the show, which I appreciated. But in that sense, then it does seem a little contradictory because, you know, for me, the biggest comparison here that I've seen, I know it's really obvious is Boston Rob from sure. season seven, because Rob, there were teams that did not like him. There were a significant amount of teams that were snarky. Some I think were just a little starstruck because it wasn't that long after Survivor All-Stars. So some of them were a little starstruck and then others were did not like them. And he, you know, went out of his way to find any way to, I wouldn't say break the show, but to get around rules or to they use locals because they were famous. And he was very divisive. But um personally I was kind of I mean, I love Juju Chenna and Joyce, so I don't want to over I don't want to get too far into that season, but my point is that, you know, there's a similarity here, but I don't know. I got the sense that they did connect with some teams. They didn't go in there thinking, you know, we don't care about anyone. We're not going to connect with any of these teams. I think there was at least a few teams. that I remember like Ray and Dina and a few others. They seemed to have a better connection with, and it also didn't seem there was a difference. I don't know, Jess, help me out here. But it seemed to be I always got the sense he was playing more to the cameras. And while I think Dave has had cases, especially where he's playing to the cameras and kind of showing that, he, you know, a little bit here. So there is some similarity I see there. But I may just be the Amazing Race Canada being different than U.S. That's really the why this is kind of hitting me differently or just because this show is really presented so differently.
0: Well, Dan, I think there's one really key difference here, and it, and you touched on it. Boston Rob and Amber is still absolutely the right comparison to make, and I do think it's extra jarring just because Canada hasn't typically presented an amazing race that had that level of intensity. But this is the big difference that Boston Rob really was very aware of how he was going to be portrayed at every turn. He knew the kind of reception he would get and how the show would edit him and the character that he was there to play. And I do not get the sense that Dave and Irina are the same way. I don't think they know that. I don't think they necessarily went in feeling like they were going to be the villains and they're not embracing it in quite the same way. And I think their social media reaction has borne this out. Dave has said things like, I don't understand all the negative comments. And it's more like, the rest of the world by not getting on board with our correct worldview, is wrong. And I think Boston Rob's reaction to something like that would be like, yeah, laugh it up. I'm I'm still on the show and you're enjoying watching me and, you know, I'm I'm the big bad guy who's going to twirl his mustache and laugh a little bit. And Dave and Arena didn't come into this knowing what their role was on the show. I think they kind of anticipated they would be the villains, but I don't think they quite cotton on to the level of backlash they were going to get. And they can't play their role of villain in quite the same way that Rob was because they're not as attuned to how the reality show machine works. And so I think you could kind of love to hate Rob and Amber and still kind of secretly root for them a little bit. And with Dave and Arena, there's no element of, well, what they're doing is so interesting. It overrides our opinion of how we feel about them personally. And That's kind of the key difference, I think.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think so. And, you know, they finished fifth. They got super lucky. Like, I really started to wonder if this was going to be it. But I agree. Just I know we need to dig into the actual episode and the penalties, and there's a lot to cover. But I want to mention one more thing, which is that how they're presented. I find that really interesting because... You know, I think the show is sort of building up a narrative like early on. It was a little more subtle. Like we mentioned, they were doing so well. They were out in front. And when you're out in front, too, you're going to be more positive than when you're struggling and when you're taking penalties. So they were so positive because they were in first. But also, I think we're being set up here, especially now that we have teams openly talking about working together, possibly to their own detriment to take them out. That is a real we they purposely showed that. And I think whenever the next U turn one way, whatever, this is a case where teams are going to be hyper focused. And even they may, it might not be a case where, oh, if David Arena are fifth or sixth, we'll, we'll U turn them. No, 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 no. These teams are going to work together to find a way where a team might even put one on for someone that's ahead of them just to make sure that they get eliminated. And it would I'm not great at predicting, but I think we're getting set up for something like that. Or teams just, there's a really hard task, and they all work together to beat them. And with no express pass, like I said, he got super lucky and was smart to do it, but to save himself at that roadblock, I don't know if that's going to happen again.
0: Yeah, there's not that many more times that that is going to work. I think the... Express Pass is like your one get-out-of-jail-free card, and the fact that they got a second one this episode. Well, we can talk about leg design. I think we will talk about leg design, but it was incredible luck that they did not end up at least in danger of going home. Um, but we'll have to go back into the Boston Rob similarities there as well. Before we get into all that, let's let's go up to the top of the leg, and let's talk about The fact that we're back in British Columbia for the third leg out of five. I don't know how I feel about that, Dan.
1: Yeah, well, we even noticed it previously. They had this stretch where they kept ending up in Vancouver to go other places. But part of that was, I think, when they went to Asia and such. But even so, Vancouver is just a common destination of arriving. But this is kind of, you know, it's weird. I have to wonder, too, because the show is you know, there's no secret. They've publicly talked about how they're not leaving Canada. It's not like we just heard it through the grapevine. And I don't know. I wonder with Jed and Dave leaving, with the rise of David Arena, with them not leaving Canada, with focusing so much on British Columbia, this season's got got some interesting sides to it, Jess. I don't know. It's a weird one.
0: It is. And I think that's going to be the that's, that's going to be its legacy. Like, this is the weird one. This is the Dave and Arena season. This is the non-Jet and Dave season. It, there's like a sliding doors universe in which there's a different Dave in this race.
1: Yeah, it would it would be interesting, you know, in a lot of ways. But And I've heard people talk about ratings and such. I know I'm kind of getting off on a tangent. I don't think this is like a death knell for the show. But I wonder what... I'm kind of really curious what next season will be. But to stick with British Columbia, I found this leg overall to be interesting because of kind of some twists, at least in a few cases, I thought that they did some interesting things with very typical, amazing race tasks. But, um, but you know, there's so much to it. They also, you know, we got door, the door in the lost city of gold happening. There's just, this felt almost like a throw a lot of things at the wall and hope that a few tasks really kick. Right. I mean, it didn't really connect that much. I mean, that much to the area. It seemed to be more like, we're just going to do some kind of tough tasks and see what happens.
0: I think the tasks themselves were all very telegenic and very difficult. And I think in that regard, that was great. But from a design standpoint, a lot of it did feel very thrown together. Like, let's start off with this. I I don't even know what you call it. Is this this a route marker task uh, where one person is swinging and one person is bungeeing and everybody is memorizing a recipe?
1: Yes. You know, here's an interesting thing. too. That was a route marker task. We've only had two detours this season which is kind of weird, speaking of leg design. But yeah, this was a route marker task we had um, where, yeah, the bungeeing were basically both of them had to do something scary and memorize. And personally, I actually, when I I had heard in advance the teams were going to take penalties and such, I thought they would do it here because I actually felt like how many times is really someone going to bungee jump? If they don't memorize the stuff before, they just like, like Sam, I don't think he, he was struggling, but just in general, what do you think of this? I kind of enjoyed this because at least it wasn't just bungee jumping. They did something else and the yelling of the ingredients made it sort of fun.
0: Yeah, I do appreciate it when they take one of these sheer adrenaline tasks and they put some skill onto the end of it. And I especially liked that they were compelling both members of the team to do it. I wonder if this originally had been intended to be half of the detour. I wonder if the clamming was the other half of this detour, like if it was dig it and dive it or something like that.
1: You know, that would make more sense because then it would be one of those things where it's like slow going, but not scary versus scary. And, um, but uh, this would, that would have been a really unbalanced detour in terms of time though. And maybe that's what they figured out when they tested it. And instead they had to do the two root markers because yeah, having two root marker tasks or extra tasks and a roadblock and have that be a leg is rather strange. So it does make, I think you may have something there.
0: But I think as a task, I thought this was great. Uh, so many of these adrenaline tasks, you just pick the person who's not scared of heights or you trick them so that the person who is scared of heights is the one doing all the hard work. But this one, it's like, you both have to do something and you both have to work together to figure out how to put this puzzle together. And I do think I would have liked to see something marginally more difficult than just measure it, than just memorizing a list of admittedly very subjective ingredients because here's the other thing. I think when you hear that there's a region that is famous for a treat, I kind of think in my head, "Oh, well that's something you'd buy packaged like it's like a Hershey bar or something." But an animo bar is basically something you make in your own kitchen at home most of the time or you buy it in a bakery and so as such everyone's recipe is different. It could actually trip you up. If you already know how to make Nanaimo bars and you have to do this task, you're going to be thinking, well, how do I make them? And that's not necessarily what's on the list of ingredients. That could be problematic.
1: Yeah, it could be like you'd actually you're at a disadvantage if you know anything. Whereas if you don't like me, I don't even I didn't even know what an Nanaimo bar was beforehand, though I did want to eat those. They looked pretty good when they were eating them afterwards. But, you know, basically, yeah, the ingredients was just like I did enjoy the unsalted butter. And yeah. everything else that they had. Some of those I wish I had wrote more of them down, but that was that was enjoyable. Yeah, it's one of those things where if it was just about is Sam going to bungee jump? Is he going to do it? Or is, you know, whatever, I would have lost it. Or Arthie, you know, who's afraid a little bit, but not as much as he was, would have lost it pretty quickly. But um, instead, they added to it. I think what made people miss was just they thought they knew it and then just completely forgot, obviously, when they did it, because that swing was no joke either. That actually looked a little bit as frightening or maybe a little more, except for you didn't have to jump. That was no joke either. It was crazy. So which one would you have taken? Probably the swing. <laughs> if, if so, the thing is about it is, is just, you know, I've never bungee jumped. I've never even like gotten up there or, or been close to it or something. So I don't know how I react, but I still think sitting in something and have it just go the act. The only real scary thing. I mean, yes, the heights, but the scariest part of bungee jumping is that you actually have to jump. The the jump, you know, and but I was impressed by teams that were just so willing to do it. But also, too, I think once your partner goes, you kind of have to go. There's no, oh, they swung. I'm going to stand up here and not jump for a while. So there was a little more pressure to kind of the time ends. What are you going to do? You have to jump.
0: Yeah, it's true. If I were ever cast on one of these shows or if I thought I was ever going to go on one of these shows, which we've established already, that's never going to happen. I think one of the first things I would do is get this adrenaline stuff out of the way. Like, go find some place that has a bungee jump and do a bungee jump so I know what it's like, so I'm not surprised, so I'm not worried about what it's going to be like. If I already know what that that is, it doesn't really hold any power for me, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you sometimes, to me, you don't want to be up there. You're already so a little stressed out by the race. And then you're thinking... Well, uh, what's this gonna be? You know, it's like you want to. Unlike there's certain things they do on the race that you can never practice for. You can't practice, you know, sitting on a raft and thinking and memorizing something or some of the dances. I've never, you know, I could practice with that bungee jumping. You could technically practice, so it's not so bad.
0: Yeah, like go jump out of a plane or do a bungee jump or something so that you know what that's going to be like, and you're not completely caught off guard by it. and I think anybody that's seen more than one season of this show knows that's coming for them. So that's going in the jail rules right away. <laughs> I like very much that they all got free Nanaimo bars after the task in like a little homemade Tupperware container. So like some nice lady in a kitchen baked them for them and like packaged them up so they'd get to eat some.
1: Yeah, that was really nice, especially because we saw, you know, Trish and Amy, who um and Trish, to give her credit of any of them, basically was just like, OK, here we go. And just basically jumped right off. Those two just killed this task, which was great to see because, you know, they come in as the team that has to do a speed bump and they get out of here first. No problem. And um, seeing them get the Nanaimo bar and just be like happy in the world, they're in first place. They got the Nanaimo bars. They're just living large now at least but uh but it was fun i enjoyed this and like i said i, I hate to keep harping on it but Sam's scream was <laughs> one for the ages especially because we got to hear it twice and um that guy if they had had to do it a third time like if sarah had gotten up there and missed something i mean i think he was the one who missed it the first time i think they he would have just like been like forget it we're done so and and um but it was that was the most memorable thing for me. Plus, just the way some of the teams seemed to really enjoy it, like Anthony and James, who just kind of had the right attitude. And it was good fun. Lots of lots of
0: talk about ingredients. Indeed. Um, so here is the week's installment of Weird or Canadian. The word W.A.F.E.R. Dan, how do you pronounce that? I would
1: say wafer.
0: As would I. Um, The only time I've ever heard it pronounced another way is in a very famous Monty Python sketch um, that is also incredibly gross. I will not describe it, but one of the punchlines is, would you like a mint? It is wafer thin. And it's kind of a fake French accent played up for laughs. But we heard we got wafer this week. And I could not tell if that was just somebody brain farting and not understanding um, the word wafer because they were staring at it right before they had to jump off something high or if that is an actual Canadian thing. So I'm hoping that our Canadian listener base will come back to us and let us know wafer weird or Canadian. This has been weird or Canadian. Yeah, I was trying to
1: think whoever whoever had said wafer, I think was the same person who the time before missed on that exact one by I think it might have been Sam, but I'm not sure. But one of the member of the teams that missed it missed on that word and then said it very strangely. So um, maybe Canadian? I don't know, but I guess we'll see.
0: I guess so. All right, so we don't have to spend a ton of time on the speed bump because Trish and Amy had a very good week this week, despite the speed bump. And it looked very hard at first, but they realized all the parts were labeled. This was pretty much, I, I don't put it up there with our favorite speed bump of all time, eat the ice cream, but you know, it, it was all right.
1: I kept forgetting that they even did this. Like I was trying to think, okay, what do they do on this leg? And I'm going through my notes and everything. And I was like, wait, wait, what was that? Like, oh yeah, the speed bump. Because literally there was a like a 30 second scene where Trish was overthinking it. Amy's like, no, it's labeled. And then they moved on. And that's fine. I don't really need to see the speed bump to be overboard because we get to move on to a, a task that I did not expect to be the thing that would be the hardest thing in the world. We go to Deep Bay Marine Field Station and we try to find some clams. And this was a big old disaster.
0: Well, I feel like coming off of Amazing Race US 31 really prepared us well for the total cluster fudge that this was because we know now that any kind of task that involves digging around underwater for something anything like that there's a huge component of luck and there's no guarantee that everything you need is actually going to even be in there and so that i think was the biggest thing that tripped people up here. And that took them much longer than anticipated because it's not like they stocked this field of mud with clams. It was like, those are the clams that are living out there and you got to go grab like certain numbers of them to get it. And there is no guarantee there's going to be five butter clams in any given like 20 foot square section of this.
1: Yeah, it was a huge area too. Like when they would pull back and show the the larger shot, I was like, "Oh my gosh, and very similar to that test that you reference that um with Brett and Chris, where it's one of those where it's just like, "I don't blame teams here. I mean, I really don't if you think about it, I mean, yes, but especially Lauren and Joanne get stuck. there was a car accident, they get stuck in traffic, they just have no luck with transportation, they're just just the worst, but um, they get there. And, you know, other teams, I only mentioned them because I I really like their certainty that they use. But if you think about it, this is a question I have that before we really get into the penalty taking. Well, this is kind of related to that. The teams that finished it, at least those last two teams, apparently it took about five hours. You have a five hour task that you can take a penalty. and It's only two hours. Is that just is that I mean, it could be having to do with it was going to be a detour. But how big of a flaw is that? Who do we blame for this? Is this just the racers were worse at it than they expected, or is this just a, a lack of vision from the from the producers?
0: Well, you have to imagine that every task is meticulously tested, and I think we've we've heard about this before with previous tasks, I think notably with the Croatia task that we were just talking about, where they test it out and it doesn't take the production team anywhere near as long. It's very rare, though, that you have a task that everyone is uniformly bad at and it takes them all forever to do it. I think what is more common is you have a task where they test it and there's kind of an average amount of time it takes and they expect that it's going to take, I think in this case, they probably expected it would take a little more than two hours, like long enough that if you took a penalty, it might not totally screw you, but not so long that it would actually behoove you to take the penalty right out of the gate. Um, And I think what they didn't anticipate was that everybody would have trouble with it. I think they expected maybe there might be one team that would be out there all day. And that makes for drama and good TV. And, you know, someone gets the treatment of the amazing race season six hay bales.
1: Yeah. And I think, um, I agree with you. And I also think it's hard to account for to the stress of the racers, the fatigue in some way, just the fact that when you have all of them there, it becomes, I think it's really hard in a controlled environment to account for that because the teams are so freaking out. And then also you can't account for Dave and Arena because I am not sure, yes, maybe teams would eventually have taken penalties, but Dave and Arena were really the, I hate to say instigators, but them arriving and pretty much immediately taking a penalty basically set the entire thing in motion. And it's not that they knew that, but and that's why there's another connection to Boston Rob here. Well, Dan, 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 we got to do
0: some Amazing Race 101, right? I think so. I think it's definitely time for Amazing Race 101. So hit it, George. Amazing Race 101. Boston Rob and the penalties.
1: Yes. So I... (laughs) Okay, so Amazing Race 7, we have a leg pretty early on in the season. I believe it's leg number three, where the teams go to Argentina, and they have a task where they have to eat a ridiculous amount, four pounds of meat. And this isn't just like, oh, nice meat. It's just a volume thing. We're talking cow intestines, udders, kidneys. You know, ribs—the whole thing. This is not. This is almost on the level. It's kind of a weird mix of a sort of gross food with flies on it, such and a volume-eating task, which the show used to do more of those in the early years. Rob gets there. Rob is a very finicky eater and decides I can't do this. So. He asked the producers, because I know that this is not a standard penalty and says basically.
0: Well, this is a little different from what we're seeing now in Amazing Race Canada. But the rules at the time in Amazing Race U.S., which Rob went to the production team to clarify this before he made the call, are that you would have a four hour penalty that you would have to wait out at that roadblock. And your four hours didn't start until the next team arrived at the task. And so Rob realizes very quickly that if he is the only person to take the penalty, he is definitely getting kicked out of the race. And so he does what he does best. And here's another key difference I think between Rob and Amber and Dave and Arena, and that is that Boston Rob is a villain, and he's frequently a jerk, and he's very self centered, but. He's also incredibly charming and he has an amazing social game. You don't get cast on Survivor four times if your social game sucks. So what he does at this point is he elects to take the penalty. And then as soon as other teams start showing up, he starts working on them to also take the penalty. And he ends up convincing three other teams that they are not going to be able to do this task. And so multiple teams end up sitting out this task.
1: Yeah, and what happens is, too, is that by chance, several teams get lost, or but then even not just that, which ends up costing the team. But one of the teams that doesn't take a penalty, actually all the penalized teams survive, but it's really because one team just powers it out. One team actually kind of event does the Megan and Marie, at, but not to the fullest extent because they didn't ultimately take a penalty. But you see, what Rob figured out, yeah, is This is so hard. And yes, he would have survived either way, but that wasn't the genius of it. The genius of it was the social thing like you talked about. So it's and it was we had seen nothing like this on the show up to this point. I know we've seen other penalties where teams have survived on Amazing Race Canada. I can't think of a case where a team deliberately took a penalty. Like really, the idea took a penalty. Like, you know, we had cases where a team should have walked and they took a cab or they Took a penalty because they just gave up because they put diesel in their unleaded tank or whatnot. This is someone who deliberately did it to essentially break the rules. I mean, break it, meaning I wouldn't say break like he cheated, subvert the rules. Dave and Arena here came in. And really, though, because they took a penalty once another team took a penalty, Dave and Arena, their odds of getting eliminated went way down when three other teams took penalties then they were golden. Now, they didn't go around convincing teams to do it, but the image of them doing it and them already having done it the week before, I think created almost the same scenario where Trish and Amy quickly looked at it and went, well, we're going to take it too. And then Megan and Marie waited longer, which ended up killing them. But you had this weird situation where teams were like, do we power it out or do we not? And while powering it out, ended up paying dividends. For the teams that, that the three teams that stuck it out went one two three. It was a little up in the air for a while.
0: It was. I mean, it, it was a calculated risk that I think everybody took at this point. You had to decide: Do you think you can get it done in less than two hours? And you do see them kind of have this race against time towards the end. And I think as we start talking about the roadblock, I think this will come into sharper focus. But there is an element of the meat block to this, but. There's no social convincing and there's no, there's no David Arena concerned about anything anybody else is doing. I think they're just like, we're going to take the penalty in a vacuum. They're not thinking that if the next team takes the penalty, then that buys them a cushion. I think they were just legitimately thinking we don't want to do this, so we're not going to. And I think that's kind of the key difference there. Yeah, they were
1: totally thinking of it as this looks hard. I'm not even sure. I mean, I know now. They're going to say, this is brilliant strategy. We knew it would take three hours. We brilliantly did this. And I'm not saying they didn't have that conversation. They may have. We didn't see much on the show. From what I saw on the show, it looked like they said, this looks really hard. This is going to take a while. Also, too, I should mention, Dave was shoveling and she was not. So while most of the other teams were both shoveling, That added an extra element to where it would have taken them longer, probably. So it was one of those situations again, though, like last week with the Express Pass, where while they survived, it's another indicator of kind of how they're approaching the game.
0: Yeah. And again, this is down to editing, because I fully believe they had that conversation. But I also think like. Who did Arena anger on the editing team? Because she's getting a worse edit than Dave. And like every scene where she is not doing something, they are sure to show it. And I do think that this probably is how she was a little bit. And I think Dave does enable that a little bit because he's very conscious of wanting to make sure she has a good experience, especially since he's the one that wants to do this race. But it's also like, why is Arena all of a sudden like, super dead weight. She has done three roadblocks to Dave's four, so it's not totally unbalanced, um, which I think is something a lot of listeners were concerned about. They're like, well, she's total dead weight. She's not doing roadblocks. Well, she is doing roadblocks. She just didn't do any this leg, and she didn't really do much at all. But it did not play out like there was a lot of strategy involved in this, except that they decided it was going to be hard and they didn't want to do it. And I think that's not a great look. And regardless of how much of that is them making that decision themselves and how much of that is the show assigning them that, which I think there's another aspect of this that I want to talk about here. There's a point where right after they take a penalty and other teams start showing up, you hear the frank Frankenbite that I have heard in a very long time. You hear something along the lines of, guys, Dave and Arena took a penalty. We're all working together to get them out of here. And it was very clearly like eight different sentences chopped up together to make one soundbite. And that, I think, is the editor's attempt to foreshadow what is apparently going to happen next week. But I don't think there was a lot of team conflict at this point in time.
1: That's a really good point. And because, you know, earlier I did bring up that kind of that scene and that part kind of as an indicator of where it's going. But... That's a little force. And you're right, though. I mean, the show is doing her no favors. And not again, this is not a judgment on good person, bad person, whatever, how they're acting. But they I mean, that scene in the plane, like I mentioned earlier, where she was complaining, that wasn't really essential to the show. That wasn't essential to the activity that was happening. That was the show creating. I wouldn't say creating because she did say those things presenting a narrative so the only thing i could think i don't think this i don't believe the show likely has it out for them i think it's designed to set up something in the future or to show drama it's just not something we've seen very much and even like you mentioned with the um put together clip that that is something i'm sure that they do a lot but i haven't noticed it that blatantly with a lot of other teams in the past in the u.s version oh yeah we've seen it a lot
0: yeah, that was like straight up U.S. reality show realness right there. I, I think they, I'm, I'm sure they do it, but I think they don't do it quite as blatantly. I think everything that we are seeing actually did happen. But do I think they are massaging the narrative? Absolutely.
1: Yeah. So basically, this task, just to, to recap for the listeners here, most penalties ever taken in a leg. We have four teams. Team Dan taking the penalties, all four of them. But, um here. Trisha and Amy took it pretty quickly when they realized Dave and Arena had taken it. I mean, they had been working for a while, but fairly quickly from what we could tell. Then we had Lauren and Joanne show up last and go, and people told them, I believe that others had taken a penalty. So they immediately are like, well, we're not going to get catch up. They're out of there. And then we have Megan and Marie who fight it out the longest. And in my opinion, I mean, it's a little results-based, but when you've stayed that long, it's almost too late to take the penalty then. And then kind of that's where they got stuck. And then you have, I know this is a very long explanation, Jess, (laughs) I apologize for this. Then you have Sarah and Sam who are the best at this. And they got there quickly, seemed to do it the quickest. They were, they were, they finished where they were, you know, ahead of the pack. And then you have these last two teams. And I found the interactions between those last two teams to be so interesting because we have Arthi and Thanesh, and Anthony and James, two very teams that have gotten very good edits and are very likable people and both got, background stories earlier in the leg that I found interesting too, which were both, you know, Arthi talking about her family and being refugees, and then James talking about his work as a doctor with transgender patients. And I think, you know, both of them have this personal background that we see. They both connect really well. And Arthi honestly says, don't take a penalty because you, if you are, we're going to use the express pass and you're going to eliminate it. So instead, they work together and get it done. And Arthi and Thanesh even stay after to help. I mean, what do you think of all that? It's really interesting to me.
0: I mean, I think Anthony and James were so much fun this way, like start to finish, from the diving off and yelling unsalted butter on their way down, um, to Anthony singing while he was digging up the clams, to James using the phrase clamageddon. I thought this was like, this was their coming out party was this episode. I think we've not seen as much of them in previous episodes. And it turns out that they are incredibly funny and very personable and a lot of fun. So I appreciated that we took a break from the Dave and Arena show to get to know some of the other teams a little bit better. And I really enjoyed the bond that these two teams are forming and really like being down there in the trenches together for that long pretty much literally gives them a chance to bond and to help each other out. And I think this was a case where it really wasn't gonna be a problem for Arthi and Tanesh to take a break and help another team. They actually did have the time because they knew there was kind of a there was a cushion with the other teams being needing to sit out this two hour penalty. They weren't like two hours behind at this point. So they could kind of stop and say, Well, we want to make sure that you survive, that you don't get stuck here forever. And I really liked that. I thought that was heartwarming and it might not be the most sound gameplay, but it created a great moment.
1: Agreed. I never had the thought while they were doing that. Oh my gosh, they're destroying their game, which, you know, cause we've had teams in the past that. Sometimes, I mean more on US, but sometimes help so much where I think, what are they doing? Why don't they go? And this was not that case. And it was part of it was how it was presented. But also these two teams are both rolling along, seem to do very well. And they even at the end step on the mat at the same time to go to tie for second, apparently, which was an extra touch there, which made sense. And then we also saw, um, I'm jumping up to the roadblock, but just to talk about working together. That again, Sarah and Sam worked with another team Well, where Sarah worked with Lauren to get the roadblock done, which is something they did earlier at an earlier leg and also did to help Megan and Marie. This is a thing that they're doing as a strategy and also because I think they're nice people, but as a strategy. That is completely on the other end of the spectrum from the strategy we saw, we talked about for Dave and Arena, and they're being presented as a counterpoint, which is, again, making us picking them first seem like a very smart idea. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, you picking
0: them first. Me picking them <laughs> first. Yes. And letting you have Jet Dave. <laughs> that, uh, that's That's paid dividends for me. But I think it's also... In a season where you have one team that everybody is kind of rallied against, I think you do see a lot more of these teams teaming up with each other because it's like, well, at least we're not working with them. And I think it's not necessarily as strong as we hate them when we want them to go home. But I think we've seen this in some previous Amazing Race U.S. seasons as well, where you have like the the blind date season with uh, Bank and Ashton, everybody was kind of against them for... Reasons. And I think when there's that kind of like sort of tribalism, you do tend to want to work with each other a little bit more. And I think everybody has been doing it very smartly. They've been thinking about, well, is this going to hold me up to the point where I'm in danger? And at no point have we ever seen teams working together at a point where it puts one of the teams in danger. So I think this has been really interesting to watch. And I think that's the first thing you have to ask yourself if you're in the situation where. You could help another team. Is it going to get you both further if you work together? And if it doesn't work out, is it going to put you or the other team in danger? Particularly, is it going to put you in danger?
1: Right. And, it, and same deal with really because Sarah and Sam knew they had, had not taken a penalty. So to, to them, it's like, why not work with another team? Because, I mean, really, they they get the goodwill. Maybe they get out of there faster. And they've got two hours on that team they're working with. So in a sense, it's almost like—I don't think they thought of it this way—but it's almost like an intersection where they work together. And then Sarah and Sarah knows, no matter what happens, even if it takes us longer than a few other teams, we're still going to be ahead of them. I don't think this was the thinking based on what we saw on the show, but it's actually kind of smart when you when you when you've got that two-hour cushion. You know, they didn't want to work with Dave, who tried very hard (laughs) to join them. No one wanted to work with Dave. But um, but yeah, are we ready to move on to the roadblock, though?
0: Um, I think so. I think there's one more example from Amazing Race's past that I did want to bring up while we're talking about everybody quitting and taking penalties because someone did remind me that this was a thing and I was unable to go back and rewatch it to give you like a detailed breakdown of it. But in Amazing Race Asia season one, there was a task where four teams quit the task and took a penalty. And it was a roadblock that involved digging in the sand to find a little toy surfboard. And they were initially given like very small shovels and told it's buried like no more than I think a few inches deep. And people were just unable to do it. Nobody could find this these stupid toys to the point where they were wondering if they were even in there. And eventually four teams quit the task and took 4-hour penalty. And then in the middle of the leg there was a random equalizing point after they'd already served the penalty. They ended up serving the penalty overnight and then the leg went into the next morning and it ended up meaning nothing. Um, which I thought was very useless, but that was really I think the first time you ever saw multiple teams quitting a task. And listeners who are that deep into Amazing Race fandom that they have sought out these other international seasons were quicker to make that comparison than the Robin Amber comparison.
1: Yeah, that's a good one. And I I say that's a good one. Like I've watched it a hundred times. I have not seen Amazing Race Asia, so I I don't mean to play that off. But yeah, there are other examples. I mean, we've had a few in Canada that I thought of, but those were only two teams. But to see it here, it was just pretty jarring to see it because this show has had a, a history with teams either taking penalties or thinking about taking penalties especially season 3 and a bit in season 4 but we haven't heard from it recently so i think you know there's there's cases even you know in in asia or us and probably in other international seasons i haven't seen but to have it come at this point and to really dominate this leg it's just um it's interesting. It's not something that I expected when the season started, given that the show seemed to be moving away from from having so many penalties. But it really depends on the cast.
0: I guess so. They were just saving it all up. But anyway, let's go to the cave task. I am given to understand that they are on the island of caves, which sounds like something out of Dora the
1: Explorer. <laughs> yes, it does. It's, it's a, you know, we haven't even mentioned that the, the Dora video that they you know they got the whole bag of stuff including the gloves and the shovel i believe and the carrots <laughs> you know and everything which is you know at first i was wondering it wasn't when they started it i was like oh boy this is going to be something but because we had all the other things going on it wasn't played up that much but apparently now they were just living a dora the explorer well dora the explorer movie which i think is kind of rebranding it to be something more for like 10, 12 year olds, not three year olds. So more on that zone than the irritating show that I've seen before with kids.
0: Yeah. Well, in other words, Dan, this is a movie geared toward your children and not my children.
1: Basically, yeah, because I saw the, the, the preview seemed to be more like something that when we, like we were watching HBO Go and like, oh, this is fine to watch while we're sitting on our couch, you know, that it's that level. But I don't mean to push back against the Amazing Airs Canada sponsors here. But um, but yeah, they went in a cave. They used a really fancy phone. They took some pictures of letters and then it became like an unscramble task.
0: Yeah, this was heavy on the product placement, this leg. I feel like we got so many sponsors. And I guess that's good for the show, but I think there does come a saturation point with the sponsors. And by the time we got around to this brand new special phone and look at all the cool things the phone can do, I was like, I don't really want to buy the phone. I don't really want to see the movie. I don't really want to do any of these things anymore. Um, I don't want to go to the source.
1: Yeah. And um I we can't forget the the mention once again of that they can eat a lot of cliff bars. <laughs> if I was on this show, like I would have so many clips I would like I would basically be subsisting on cliff bars. Like I don't know, do they have a limit on how many they can take? Because if it was me, I would be taking as many as possible. And I'm not trying to make a commercial for cliff bars, it's just because if you're hungry and you've got limited money, as we saw last week that that's going to be what I'm going to eat. And they just keep getting them every airplane flight.
0: Yeah. They must have a limit on that because I know that teams in the past have actually brought cliff bars with them like packed them in their luggage so that they always have something to eat. Cliff bars are no joke. If you are unable to actually purchase a meal and you have a cliff bar, eat the cliff bar. It's going to do the thing. Um, I'm not a commercial for cliff bars either. Apparently. But yeah, I would have been—I would have been like just yanking out the drawer and dumping the whole thing of Cliff Bars into my bag. I mean, Dan, do you have a favorite flavor of Cliff Bar?
1: I have no idea. I've had other protein bars, but I do not regularly eat Cliff Bars. But um, so I couldn't tell you. But I would be. Take, I'd be like to the pit stop and John would be like, Dan, why are you going so slowly? What's your bag? I'm like, got 78 cliff bars in there, John. I'm all set. And John would be like, Do you like them? I'd be like, Yes, they're great. And that would be, they would show that on the show at the very end. So that's that's what I would do. But how about you?
0: Um, well, my, my husband loves cliff bars. Uh, we frequently have them in the house to the point where I actually just recently ordered a case online that should be arriving any day now. He's actually a fan of the builder bars, which we saw in the in the shot when they had the close up on the cliff bars. And there's a chocolate mint builder bar that he finds very tasty. But me, I'm more of a chocolate peanut butter person. And they have these ones that have like a peanut butter filling in them. And I I could get those like I would just I just empty the drawer of those out and I'd be good. Do you think that
1: the people listening right now think that we are getting money from Cliff Bars for this conversation? Because I think I think we're doing a good job in selling them right now. We're- Dude,
0: I wish I was getting money. I would even like I would accept payment in Cliff Bars for this. This is how much I like Cliff <laughs> Bars.
1: Yes, I think so. Um so Amazing Race Canada people that are listening to this, please um you know, you probably got some extra boxes sitting around from, you know, when people didn't take them, you know, we're <laughs> from three, three months ago, four months ago. We're good. We're good. We'll take them. But, um, but yes, <laughs> so the roadblock, let's get back to the roadblock. So my, I did enjoy Marie's um mistake, which was grown. So foot, which unfortunately was not the correct answer, but I guess the big thing here is to talk about Dave and, um, you know, Trish gets it right. And, um, Dave then does not wipe off her board. She pulled a survivor puzzle mistake. And basically, Dave steals it after unsuccessfully trying to steal the answers from Lauren and Sarah and then feels really good about it. And that past, Dave looked completely lost. I would not have been shocked if they if he doesn't do that um, and he can't steal you know the answers from the other teams, they might get eliminated right here.
0: I think because it's Dave. I think if any other team had done this, we would have seen Universal lauding it as smart gameplay and Universal people saying, why didn't you wipe your board off, Trish? That was a rookie mistake. But because it was Dave, I think the public reaction to this has been a little bit vitriolic just because it is a little unsporting. And technically, this is a thing you're allowed to do. They have not done anything to date that they are not allowed to do. And I think it's the straw that breaks the Campbell's back, I think. And we start to see people reacting to the cumulative outrage of Dave and Arena offenses as things progress. But especially Trish and Amy are not happy with this. And it is technically their fault. This is their doing. They could have erased the board before they went and got the check, especially since you didn't even have to take the board to them. You take a picture of the board, just erase the board immediately. You have a record of what you tried.
1: Right. And I'll give Dave credit. I mean, one thing I will say is that what it was perceptive because that he was able to do that. I mean, that, you know, a lot of teams might have just been so flustered because he had been there so long, not noticed. And he may have saved their race by doing that. Or you can flip it and say that that she saved his race by not erasing it. But I agree. I think it's definitely cumulative. This take every, if this is the only thing in this leg and if it's a different team, people like a team that, I mean, there are people totally rooting for Dave and arena. I'm not going to make assumptions because we've gotten messages. And, and again, it's not never universal. There's, there's never going to be one team's hated. One team's loved. A lot of it is how they're presented, but granted overall, there are some teams that are, people are rooting for more. And I think, yeah, if, um, I'm trying to think of the right example. Let's say that Anthony does this. I think, it, it, and he's about to get eliminated and saves it. It might be different. I was just mm-hmm. trying to think of somebody, a team that I think most people, rightfully so, really
0: like. I mean, Sam and Sarah. I think, yes. I think Sam and Sarah do this, and people are like, wow, that was great that he noticed that. It's a lot of prior reputation coloring our perception of this, but... I, I think you're right. It was very perceptive of Dave to notice this and to run with it. And I think any racer in that, in that situation who is that perceptive would have done the exact same thing. Certain racers do it. You would have people on social media saying it would, would have been stupid not to do it. So I don't think it serves anybody for any racer to not do something just because it might not be 100% sporting. I mean, it is part of the game. It's something they didn't get penalized for it. It is allowed.
1: Exactly. And then um, and one other thing about this, obviously, what really kind of sealed the deal for Megan and Marie was one of the stranger things I've ever seen with a task with James calling out the answer before they even get there based on the clue of the carrots in the bag, which one, it's interesting that they gave him that clue. And two, they didn't even really do the roadblock. It's so crazy. I mean, Kudos to him, I guess, for figuring it out. But wow, those teams that had, you know, been there so long digging clams then just blow right by and you know end up tied for second because of it.
0: Well, speaking of not taking a penalty, this is really interesting to me because this was really weird game design for one thing. Let's start with that. This is the first time I think I've seen teams get their next clue immediately and after finishing one task, opening the clue and having it be the roadblock right away and then going to the roadblock. I think typically you would open the clue and the clue would say, make your way to the next location. They would go to the location, they'd be at the caves and then they'd open the clue and it would say, who's your better photographer? And in this case, They skipped that clue. It's like they forgot to take it out of the printer. And so they just gave people the roadblock clue right out of the gate, which is already weird. So you are in a position where you have to drive however long to get to this cave after you've already declared who's doing the roadblock. And on your way there, you can review the specifics of what the roadblock is going to ask you to do. I've never seen that before. That was kind of a miscalculation on the part of the race designers. So with that being said, they opened that clue. And Anthony said, I'll do it. And then they have the whole drive to talk about it. And that is weird because at least in Amazing Race U.S. is not allowed. And at that point, as they're driving, James starts to figure out that they might have to unscramble a word of what that phrase might be based on the number of letters. And so it's James who's not doing the roadblock, who comes up with the answer and gives the answer to Anthony, who then gives the answer to Arthie and Tanesh, And it is weird to me that they did not have to serve any kind of penalty for the non-roadblock team member contributing to solving the roadblock.
1: Yeah, it's. It, I, I just think it's... The thing is, I would say it's something they didn't foresee, but the fact that they put the carrots in the bag would indicate they did foresee it, because maybe they thought it would be something that then the racer would think of while they were doing the roadblock later, but that's not the case. What's interesting, too, is in leg number two, this is not, they went to Last Spike Monument. Got the clue for the roadblock, then drove to. If I remember this right, then drove to the resort for the dirt bikes because I know there was another case. I think that was the case. And listeners correct me if I'm wrong. There was a case where they did get a clue and drive there, but the dirt bikes. It was not like they could be in the car and be like, "Here's how you do the dirt bike. I know this track. There's no nothing really they can do there." So that's where the similarity ends. But it's interesting. I thought that was interesting because I thought it added an element of navigation to the getting to the task that you've already know about. But this is maybe they thought that was going to be so hard to get the letters and unscramble them that they had to give an extra clue, but never thought that a te- another team would figure it out. But I don't know how they could not. I mean, would it be a case where they'd say, OK, you have the roadblock clue now you can't talk about it? I don't know how they really. The only way to protect against this is not to tell them what the roadblock is until they get there, like you said.
0: Yeah, like they always generally do, and they <laughs> did sneak some other clues in there. And I think this is part of how James was able to figure it out. Like, why is there a random bunch of carrots in this door? The Explorer backpack. I mean, it's not my kid's backpack where he hides food in it for me to find months later. Um, <laughs> this was very much like, oh well, what do you suppose these carrots are for? And also, this is weird because. My first go to thought when I think of what eats carrots. It's not necessarily gonna be a goat. Right. It's it's like Bugs Bunny or something. I mean, that's what I would think
1: of or something. They could come up with some really funny things and be like, okay, here's what it is. And it's like totally wrong. But the fact I think really they just I don't think the show anticipated in any way that that James would just know what goats on the roof is because he knew the place. And that's something that's, re- it seemed to be, that's something that's really hard to distinguish, but this seemed like a test that took a long time. I don't know. I don't think, you know, what, I don't know if they penalize them, like, what, do they give them a 30-minute penalty or, you know, because this did happen where a team got penalties in the, U- in the U.S. version just for, like, yelling something to the person to help them. So this had to be a case where the show just said, well, we kind of put them in a car. We can't really penalize them for just kind of doing the race.
0: Yeah, but I think maybe they realized, oh, it's our bad. We probably should have made you open the roadblock clue when you got to the location, like you're always supposed to do. Maybe it was a calculation that they didn't make until someone abused it.
1: Yeah. Wow. So um, there's a lot to talk about this week.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> this is, this is going to be our shortest podcast of the season. <laughs>
0: oh, my God. And we haven't even gotten any questions.
1: I know. Well, quickly, let me mention the pit stops. So they get there and you have all the teams. And of course, Megan and Marie are last and everyone's hugging. And I have to mention Dave and Arena kind of staying off to the side. But thankfully, and Megan and Marie, I did find it nice that as they were exiting, they they called them robots, but I think I think it was with endearment that mm-hmm. they called them that. So again, this is where and I don't oversell it. I think they were being good sports when they got eliminated. Uh, Megan and Marie were, but I don't I didn't sense any um, nastiness or you know bad feelings. So that's where again it kind of makes me wonder. Yes, they did. They called them robots, which kind of means they're super competitive and they're not really like real laid back. But that doesn't mean that there's some like terrible conflict there. I don't want to overthink it, but I found that interesting because the three teams, the show made it a point to show three teams hugging, Dave and Arena standing there uncomfortably. The show, again, pointed that out. We saw that. And so I thought it was at least a nice touch that they um, they um seemed to have a deer mitt for all the teams in some different way.
0: Yeah, it's almost like Anna Kendrick in Pitch Perfect saying, I love you awesome nerds. That was the tone I got from it. There, there was a mm-hmm. little bit of facetiousness to that. And I do think there was interesting, there were two different angles you saw this hug from, and I don't want to Go like down the road of Zaprudering a group hug photo, but um, you do see Arena go in for the hug at first. And then there's another shot where Dave and Arena are standing off to the side. So that's also very interesting. Like, what happened there? Did they shoot this two different ways? Or was it that Arena went in for the hug and then got shut out and then went to stand off to the side? Or was she like, oh, this is too much affection for me, can't deal walking away? I don't know. There's many ways <laughs> this could be. And I also think that some of Some of Irina's standoffishness is probably also cultural because I think it's certainly worth noting that she was born in Moldova and did not come to Canada until she was, I think, 12 or 13. And there could be some cultural significance to she's not quite as immediately warming to people as the rest of Canada might be. I think some of that could certainly be cultural. She's a little standoffish until she really gets to know somebody. And this is something that she tweeted about. And I couldn't tell if that was just purely defensive over what is surely to be some big conflict next week, or if this was really Irina saying, yeah, this is just the kind of person I am and not super huggy with people I just met. It looked like she was genuinely trying for at least half a second there.
1: <laughs> yeah and I think you bring you bring up a good point that obviously everything is there's more complicated than just good evil or you know villain hero that that kind of thing and I know that that's not always how we want to look at the reality TV world though <laughs> so uh, but I guess we should get to questions huh
0: we talked about many of these questions, but we do have a lot of great questions, especially considering that a lot of our U.S. listeners were having trouble tracking down the show to watch it because we didn't get the usual links that we did. Um, Dan and I actually had to go to Canada. So we, you know, I, I believe Dan was in Toronto. I was in Ottawa and found a cafe with some Internet, watched it, flew right back to our respective cities. It was great. So where should we
1: start with questions, Dan? I think there's a big question and a bunch of people ask this question and it's basically relating about the timing for the penalty. So basically we had, you know, we had a question from Rasky. We had a question from Kemper Boyd. We also had this question from Eric where he says um, he's actually referencing something I want to mention in a minute. I get from interviews, John is frustrated about the penalty taking but when they give them a four hour task with a two hour penalty. How do you blame the racers? And kind of the other questions I'll relate to, Should this two hour amount be increased? Should this go up to four hours? What do you think about this? Do you think this amount, this two hour time is really the problem? Because this is usually the one where they take penalties.
0: Yeah, I think this task in particular was the problem. I don't think it's necessarily the fault of the root marker. I think it's more that, I think it's more the expected amount of time that a particular task type is supposed to take and the fact that this particular one was incongruous with that. I think in general, the two-hour penalty for a root marker is exactly right. I think it throws enough of a wrench in things that you could really be in danger if you took it at the wrong time, but it's also maybe not going to totally screw you if you truly cannot complete a task. And in that respect, I think it's okay. But the problem is when you have a task that is designed to take much longer than that two-hour penalty. I think it was this specific instance just highlights the hazards of taking a penalty. If they're going to have more lengthy tasks like this, then they absolutely should extend the amount of time that the penalty is. But I think for most of the tasks of this type, this is a perfectly fine penalty.
1: Right. Because in most cases, the extra root marker is something, and we've seen a lot of those where it's like, find the clue in the ear of the calf or something like that which those tasks are taking 15, 20, 30 minutes, you know, so that that the two hour penalty is fine. And just should note that, you know, that there is a higher penalty, I believe four hours for a roadblock. So that's the case. And he mentioned, I want it very quickly because I know we've had a long podcast, but John did an interview, John and the producer, Mark, Liz Likowski did an interview with Toronto Sun. That's very interesting to read. But I want to quickly mention a little bit of what John said. I'm not reading the whole quote because I think you'll all just be like, Dan, that's enough. He's basically says, talking about penalties. I hope Canadians never see this again on the show. I don't think people should be quitting, not when they're giving an opportunity to run the race that every other Canadian would love to see themselves on. And he also talks about how sometimes he wants people to dig deeper. He's not seeing that. So I totally get that. He's the host of the show. He wants to see the best show possible. I also get the impression from him doing tasks that John really is a competitor and he wants to see that show up on the show. And but I think, though, that the disconnect there is, like you said, is that in this particular case, because of this task, I think John really scolded the teams at the mat. He scolded Team Dan, called them penalty takers, <laughs> you know, basically he basically gave the got nothing for you, get get the heck away from me, which I we usually don't see John give. And I think I understand. It was like kind of like Jeff Probst scolding Austin on Survivor when he the first quitting, you know, thing. But I think it's also John as someone with, you know, as someone who's producing the show is very interested in the show not turning into this. This is fun once because it's crazy to talk about, not all the time. So I will be curious to see if the show, though, does make changes next season. We did talk about this in season three and they never made changes. So maybe they won't, but they may do a little tweaks. I have a feeling.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think at the very least, they're not going to throw a task up with this root marker label that takes the majority of the time on the leg. I think that's I think that's where we run into trouble.
1: OK, so what other questions do we have?
0: Um, Let's see. Um, I'm. Oh, I wanted to call out this uh, great question from Owen Craig, because we actually got a fact check on it in real time. Um, Owen asks, since they were given carrots, but they weren't allowed to feed the goats, do we have any confirmation of if the contestants ate the carrots? And then Lauren tweeted back at us and said, I did. So <laughs> I guess they ran out of Cliff Bar's. And you get me, who was like, I thought they were
1: fake carrots. I was like, wait, they, I was about to think like I, I was almost ready to respond to Owen and be like, I think those were fake. And then she's like, I ate them. I like, oh, OK, I'm wrong.
0: <laughs> if you're the Amazing Rice props Department, what's easier to procure? I ask you seven sets of fake carrots or seven <laughs> sets of actual carrots actual
1: of course actually you go know, like any grocery store and be like give me some carrots we need to put them in the bag yeah that, that's i wasn't thinking very clearly when i thought about that um uh, okay so i guess i could ask you this question are we watching this is from x word jeffrey are we watching the hansing of amazing race canada or is this just boston rob without the charm we kind of mentioned the boston rob part but how much do we do we want to think is this a blip or is this a trend that's the big question
0: I think that's a very good question. And I think I was prepared after last week to say it was a blip, but then we got this week and it was kind of more of the same, more of, I think, a very conscious attempt on David Arena's part to break the game. And I think it is more akin to Boston Rob without the charm, but there is a little bit of, I think Russell Hans never had the self-awareness. And I think you do see that creep in around the edges.
1: No, Russell always thought had this impression like he was um smarter and cooler than everyone that was really transparent. Where I do think as we've seen some shots of Dave where he recognized a little bit of what they're doing and seems to be a you know saying it's a strategy. But um but it's gonna be interesting in quotes next week, I think, <laughs> because we saw the preview showed an argument in the airport that involved a bunch of teams and arena and possibly Artie and um I suspect that's pretty early on in the leg, you know, while they're getting started. So maybe it's overblown, but this isn't going anywhere. If people if you if if we don't like this season or this group, and no offense to the whole group, but the way the, the makeup right now, at least in the near future, I think we're gonna see more of it.
0: The key difference is and I think this is a very good analogy, actually. Russell Hance felt like people should be cheering for him to win and believed them to be incorrect if they were rooting for other people. Boston Rob understands that many people will not want him to win. And he does what he does anyway.
1: Right. And actually, I think he's his thought is more the, well, I'm not going to be boring. You know, people are, this is, and he's thinking career and the, you know, the dollar sign, the whole right, deal. Right. But we're, yes, Russell kind of got had his reality show or whatever, but it's it's a different, different scenario. But I know we veered off people that don't know Survivor very well are probably like, guys, okay, we get it, we get it. <laughs> but, um, but you know, I think we've really covered the questions, though. I don't think there's that much more. I mean, we had Derek asking about the bungee instructor. And, yes, he was very enthusiastic. I would have liked seeing a little bit more of that guy because we haven't had as many notable judges this year or helpers. So um, but beyond that, I think I think we really nailed the penalties and Dave and Arena. And that's really the most of the questions fell.
0: Yeah, I think that was Primarily the two subjects we got asked about, and I think we touched on just about everything else that people asked us. I did also want to give a shout out to the judge at the cave task because there was a point, I think, when Marie turned in her incorrect answer and he gives this perfect Jim Halpert from the office look to the camera when she gets it wrong. <laughs> and I thought that the judges were not supposed to editorialize, but I appreciate that this one did.
1: Well, plus Marie's answer was was, you know, one for the ages and I, I I think she was so frustrated. She's like, I don't think she really thought grown so foot was the right answer, but she'd been there so long. It was probably just like, "Oh, I'll throw this at the wall and see," but I appreciate it when the judges seem a little more invested, and, um, and are helpful. So so that that's good. Thumbs up to that judge.
0: Like goats on roof makes a lot of sense either. <laughs>
1: no, I, 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 I would have taken a long time for me to come up with that one too. So um, it's not easy.
0: No, it is definitely not. So Dan, the most frequently asked question we goat here at the Amazing Race Canada wrap Up is, how do I watch the Amazing Race Canada if I myself do not live in Canada? And we've outlined a few ways that you can go about this, but there are a lot of solutions. And obviously the most practical piece of advice that I can give you, I think you all know what I'm going to say. You should become a patron of Rob as a podcast. Our HAP patrons receive a number of perks, including access to the secret patron only Facebook group, where you can connect with other fans, talk about all things, reality TV We have a robust discussion thread for this very show. And in fact, usually links to View Amazing Race Canada are posted in the group shortly after each episode airs. This week has been a little bit of an anomaly, but we're working on getting that out to everybody. So if you like the show, I hope you've subscribed. You can find new episodes of this podcast in the Reality Rehap Ups feed or the Rob Has a Podcast Amazing Race feed. Uh, we love getting feedback from all of our listeners. You can leave us a review in the iTunes store, the podcatcher of your choice. That helps us out a lot and it helps other people find the podcast. You can leave a comment on the page for this episode on Rob's which is great for comments specific to this episode and comments that are a little bit too long to tweet at us. But of course, you can always find us on social media. I am on Twitter and Instagram at Haymaker Hattie and Dan Where are you?
1: I am at the Dan Heaton. And if you like theme parks, I also do a podcast called the Tomorrow Society Podcast which is a lot of interviews about with former Imagineers and other theme park people. And that's at TomorrowSociety.com.
0: It's a massively entertaining podcast, and I've been enjoying it quite a lot. And this is basically my only podcast jam at the moment. But I'm also doing a little bit of writing for Primetimer.com. I have some articles coming out in the very near future. And you can click over on features at Primetimer.com to check those out. Um, Don't forget to check out everything else that's happening in the Rob Has a Podcast slash Post Show Recaps universe. Our coverage of Big Brother is never ending. We're also covering International Survivor Seasons, uh, Are You the One, American Ninja Warrior. And over on Post Show Recaps, I know that Josh Wiggler and AJ Mass just did a wrap up of the German series Dark that you can also view on Netflix. And that is a show that basically it makes Lost look like sesame street it is complicated it, it is true to its name it is dark and their recap of it is really quite excellent so i recommend you check out that or any other script or reality show in our universe that catches your fancy so that's our show i want to thank dan heaton as always for joining me on this incredible canadian journey rob Sesternino for giving us the opportunity to do it scott st pierre behind the scenes all of the patrons on rob has podcast and all of our listeners around the world Take care, everyone. We'll see you right back here next week.